It's great to see everybody here today. Thank you for the prayer on my behalf, Justin, and it is my prayer also that what I have to say will be helpful to you um, as you go along your Christian walk. I've been doing a lot of studying in the book of Romans recently, and my last couple of sermons dealt with some questions that Paul asks in Romans chapter 6, and it's sort of led me on this um, thinking a lot about obedience and the role it plays in the life of a Christian. And when you study the Bible, it doesn't take very much digging to really come to the conclusion that obedience is something that matters to God. Um, God takes it very seriously, and yet I think there's a lot of debate, even among Christians and unbelievers, as far as the significance of obedience and especially the role that it plays in our salvation. And it leads you to ask a lot of questions. Well, we know obedience is important to God, but how is it important and why is it important What role does it play in our relationship with him? And so I want to ask some of those questions and really think about, as in a lot of areas of life and doctrine that we talk about, the truth often lies in between the extremes. And we're going to deal with that that subject specifically this morning a little bit. But I just want to take a look at the scriptures and really see what they have to say about obedience and the role that it plays in our relationship with God. Obedience is important. And I think that's the first thing that we have to understand. We have to take it seriously, and we'll get to the how and the why later, but as a matter of course, as I said, it doesn't take very long as you go through the scriptures to find out that God takes obedience very seriously. That's really the reason we're here. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. It was because of the sin, the disobedience of Adam and Eve that sin and separation from God entered into the world. It was because of that disobedience that we have a need for Jesus Christ, that we have a need for the gospel. And rather, on the other side of the coin, it was Jesus's obedience that allows us now to be reconciled to God. So obedience and disobedience play key roles in our separation from God and our reconciliation. And so we need to take this seriously. We need to understand that it's important to God and it needs to be important to us as well. We read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to kind of use a saying that I, I liked from a movie I heard one time. I don't know what that means, but it sounds pretty bad. Okay? We read this and we understand, at least on some level, our obedience to God affects our salvation. He says it very plainly here. Those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The picture that Paul paints of the end of time is pretty bleak for these people that don't do this. They're going to be punished, he goes on to say, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So obedience to God, at least on some level, affects our salvation. And we need to understand that and we need to take it seriously. Let's talk about the pendulum swing. A few years ago, I got on this kick of using this sort of buzzword of the pendulum effect, and I think a few of my brothers in Christ got tired of hearing me say it, but I think it's a key thing to understand about how we as a people gravitate toward extremes. And we talk about how we we try to stay so far away from a certain idea that we swing that pendulum so far away to the other side. Mankind's concepts of obedience has led to a whole spectrum of ideas about obedience. 
And that spectrum, I think, is marked by two different extremes. And so just as the pendulum of a clock, for those of you kids who don't know what a pendulum is, that little part on an old grandfather clock that swings back and forth, that's what a pendulum is. And we as a people tend to swing back and forth between extreme ideas. You know, think about, you know, the political state of our nation. We're divided right down the middle, you know, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat. There's not a lot of in-between there. We tend to gravitate toward extremes. And I think we do that with obedience until we get into God's word and understand what obedience really is supposed to mean. And so I think the truth is found between the two swings, extremes of the pendulum swing, if you want to put it that way. The first extreme, I think, that we need to understand is legalism. And now I've never used this word uh, used in a complimentary way. It's always in a negative context. It's always used to criticize or to condemn. People say you're just a bunch of legalists. You know, when you search the, the word, I, I did just a quick Google search of the term legalism, and it came back uh, an excessive adherence to law or formula. And I think about that, and, you know, we in the Church of Christ have all often been labeled as legalists. And I think about, well, excessive adherence to a law. What, what does that mean, excessive adherence? You either obey the law or you don't. And because we, very rightly, I believe, try to adhere to doctrine and, the, and what God has laid out in his word is the best that we possibly can, some people label us as legalists. And I think it's, number one, I think it's unfair to label us that way. Number two, I don't think it's an accurate description when I think of the term legalism. I mean, why do we get to pick and choose what we obey and what we don't obey? And that some people say, well, you know, of course you shouldn't commit murder. Of course you couldn't, shouldn't commit adultery and be covetous and, and lie and cheat and steal. But does it really matter how we worship? Does that really matter? You're just being legalistic. <laughs> well, who gives you the authority to decide that? What gives you the right to say, I'm gonna obey God here and not here? So I think a better term or a better definition rather of what I'm talking about when I say legalism here is dependence upon a moral law for our salvation rather than trusting in Jesus Christ and his blood. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about legalism, depending on, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 10, verses one through four. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now listen to what he says here. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what he's saying here, Paul's frustration with the nation of Israel, with his brethren, his kinsmen, his countrymen, he said, I have a desire for them to be saved, but they just can't do it in their current state. Why? Because they're trusting in themselves. They're seeking their own to establish their own righteousness. And they're ignorant of the righteousness of God, which is Jesus Christ, the gospel. He said, until they quit trying to earn their own salvation and trust in Jesus Christ, they will not be able to be saved. That's the definition of legalism. And I don't care if you're talking about the law of Moses. I don't care if you're talking about the law of the United States of America. Whatever law you're talking about, if you're trusting in some sort of moral behavior law to earn your way to salvation, that's legalism and not trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the pendulum swings the other way, and we have a big word here called antinomianism. And full disclosure, I hadn't even heard of this word until a couple of months ago. But the concept is known to me and to, to you as well. And that is this idea that as we read the scriptures and, and we understand that I can't be good enough to save myself, 
and therefore I'm saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, if that's the case, then I can just live however I want and the grace of God's gonna cover it. You know, that's, the, that's this concept of, of antinomianism. And I, don't, I didn't even do the etymology on the word or why it means that. That's just what it means and you'll have to take my word for it, I guess. The scripture, you can see the attraction to this, right? The scriptures clearly indicate I can't be good enough to save myself. And I have to trust in Jesus Christ. And therefore, well, what's the point of obeying? My last two sermons dealt with these two questions that Paul asked in the book of Romans. In verse number one of chapter six, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the exact idea we're talking about here. Why can't I just keep sinning? If grace is bigger than my sin, why can't I just keep sinning and let grace abound? Paul says, certainly not. God forbid. He says in verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Why not? He says in verse two, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You're now dead to sin. How are you gonna live in it when you're no longer under its power? If you've been trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation and you're no longer under the power of sin, why do you keep going back to it? He says in verse 16, do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. The ironic part about people who say, I don't have to obey God. I can just live however I want. They're still being obedient. They're just being obedient to sin. And Paul says, it's one or the other. You're gonna be obedient to sin or you're gonna be obedient to God. Which is it? And so that's the two extremes that we find in this discussion of obedience. On one end, I'm trying to be so obedient that I earn my salvation. And on the other end, I'm swinging forward and saying, I don't have to be obedient at all because God's grace covers everything. And the truth, I believe, lies in between those. Consider the parable of the two sons, the prodigal son and his brother. We're not gonna take the time to read this passage today, but Jesus gives a parable of a young man who decides that he's had enough of living with his dad and following his orders and living under his rules. And so he decides to take the money and run. He decides that he wants his inheritance. And so he, his father gives him his money. He goes off. And he says, the Bible says he wasted his substance with riotous living and leaves it for us to fill in the picture. But we understand some of the things this young man was taking part in. And eventually he becomes destitute. He ends up in the pig pen feeding the pigs and wishing that he could eat what he was feeding the pigs. And he comes to the realization of where he's at in life. And he determines, you know what? My, my servants, my father's servants in his house live way better than I'm living right now. I just wanna go back and submit to my father and say, Father, I'll just be a servant. I'll just do what you tell me to do. Just let me have something to eat. Just let me have some warm clothes and a place to sleep. And we find that the young man goes back and the father sees him coming and he runs out to meet him. He falls on him, he kisses him, he hugs him. He welcomes him home. He puts a robe on him, he cleans him up, puts a ring on his finger, kills the fatted calf and throws a feast. My son has been found. He's home. The older brother comes home. I say the older brother. He may not have been older, I don't know. I just assume that because in our house, the older brother was the more responsible one. I'm just saying that. I'm kidding. <laughs> the other brother comes home and he says, what's going on here? And the servant says, oh, your brother's home. We're celebrating. He's like, wait a minute. He goes to his father. He says, all these years, I've worked and I've worked and I've worked and I've done what you told me to do. And this brother of mine that's gone off wasting his time 
and wasting his money and spending his time with harlots, he comes home and all of a sudden we're throwing a celebration here? The two extremes of the pendulum. On one end, you have legalism of the older brother who says, I've worked all these years and done everything you tell me. I've earned the the reward you're giving my brother who went off and, and did whatever he wanted to do. See, the younger brother represents antinomianism, which is he thought he could go off and do whatever he wanted to do and still have the blessings of his father. And it took him coming to the realization that I need to submit myself to my father in order, in order to receive his blessings. Not that I'm earning it, just to, to show that I'm willing to, to be under your protection. I'm willing to accept whatever you ask me to do because I know it's the best for me. And the other brother had to realize it's not the fact that I stayed here with my father and did everything I was supposed to for all those years, which I'm sure he appreciated, but his father loved him for the same reason he loved the other brother, and that was he was his son. He loved them both. They were both his sons. And that's the realization we have to come to when it comes to serving God. We have to realize that he loves us because we're his, not because we earn it. So we've determined that obedience is important to God and it should be important to us. We should obey God, but to what purpose? What's our motivation for doing that? Before we get into that, I wanna take a look at sort of the other side of the coin and some, I've titled it the right thing for the wrong reason. Obeying God for the wrong reasons. At first I thought, well, what are some reasons to not obey God? I think, wait, that doesn't sound quite right. <laughs> there's no, re- there's no re- good reason to disobey God. What we're talking about is here obeying God for the wrong reasons. And the first of those reasons is this, justification or earned righteousness. Galatians chapter two, verse 16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So Paul is dealing, he's recounting his experience with dealing with Peter and some of the other Jews who had separated themselves from the Gentile Christians because, well, we're Jews and we're God's chosen people and we've been circumcised and we have the law. And they had separated themselves out. And Peter, especially, sort of, it was a peer pressure issue because he was hanging out with them and eating bacon and everything until his, his brothers from the Jewish faith showed up. And here's what Paul's telling him. Don't you understand? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter that we were God's chosen people. It doesn't work that way anymore. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus. Even we Jews have not necessarily abandoned, but left behind the law of Moses in faith in Christ Jesus. Because that's the only way we can be justified. And some might say, well, again, we're talking about the law of Moses here. He's talking about being justified by the law of Moses, and I don't care what law it was. They were, making, they were diminishing the gospel of Jesus Christ by their behavior, by saying, we're better than you because we've been separated because we do this law. And it doesn't matter if it's the law of Moses or any other law. They were diminishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we try to be justified I think a lot of times we look at obedience and disobedience like it's a balanced scale. We view, it, we view our lives and we think, well, as long as my bucket full of obedience is fuller than my bucket of disobedience, and as long as it's heavier and it's the, the obedience is down here and the disobedience is up here, as long as that's the case, then I'm okay. And if, and if I start to obey God a little bit less 
Well, I need to go back and I need to obey him some more. That's not how this works. What a burden that is for us to look at our own love. Because we're, I tell you, if you try to justify yourself by your own obedience, you're gonna disappoint yourself every single time. We just cannot be good enough to earn our salvation. I'm not saying any of this to say we shouldn't obey God. We should, but we should do it for the right reasons and not for this one. We can't earn our righteousness. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness that we can be made righteous in the sight of God. Now, another reason people sometimes are obedient is because they want to keep up appearances. Jesus talked about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are likened to whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The Pharisees had a huge problem with this. Jesus talked about it all the time. But you know, the Pharisees in a lot of ways were very obedient. In fact, it was their desire to be obedient to the law that led them to their error and taking that and elevating their traditions to be doctrine and things like that. But he said, you're doing it for the wrong reasons now. The reasons you're doing it is to appear righteous outwardly to men. You don't want people to think how bad you are. And I think sometimes I think I can say this and probably you can too. A lot of times maybe in my life I was obedient just because I wanted people to think I was a good person. And there's nothing wrong with people thinking we're good other than the fact that we don't need to make that our reason for being obedient. That's not the primary reason. That's why they were obeying. You know, Jesus told the people, hey, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. And whatever they tell you to do, you need to do that because they're telling you the law but they say and they do not. But I think even in the case of if hypocrisy is not involved, if we're simply being obedient to God because we want people to think we're good, we're missing the point. Jesus said the Pharisees, they go out and they pray on the street corners and they give their alms in front of all the people and they, they fast and they make themselves look all disheveled and they have their reward. They do it to be seen of men. If you're doing it to be seen of men, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And finally, people pleasers. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The context of this statement is, I'm the number one priority. Jesus is saying that. I'm number one in your life. You can't love anyone more than you love me. If, if your love of your family takes you away from me, you need to do something about that. Now, we use this verse a lot with Someone may, maybe won't obey the gospel because they have a parent or a grandparent or a husband or a wife that disagrees with that and it's going to cause problems. Or maybe you had a, a grandfather that, was a, you know, that, that wasn't baptized, that died, but he was a good person. And you say, well, if I, if, I, if I admit that I need to do this, then I'm admitting that my grandfather was wrong. And we say, you've got to love Jesus more than you love your family. But what about the other side of that? What about people who obey God and do what they're supposed to do, but they're doing it for the same reason, just to please their family? You know, when I was a kid, I went to church three times a week because mom and dad said, we're getting in the car and going to church. I did it because I was obeying mom and dad. At some point in my life, I had to make the decision, why am I coming to church? I'm no longer under my parents' roof. I don't have to do what they tell me to do. I'm my own man. I can make my own decisions. Therefore, why am I coming to church? Am I doing it because I want to, I want to please God? 
or I'm doing it because I want to please my parents. I'm telling you right now, if I quit coming to church, I'd be having a very awkward conversation with my mom. It'd be very uncomfortable. She'd be very disappointed, and she'd do it in a very loving way, but it'd be a hard conversation to have. But you know what? That's not why I come to church. If I stopped obeying God and started doing whatever I want, my dad would be very disappointed in me. But you know what? That's not why I obey God. At some point, we have to come to the realization, I'm not doing this to please my family, my mom and dad, my children, my grandparents, maybe my friends, maybe my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not doing this to please them and just make them happy. I'm doing it because it's what I want to do. Not like I feel like I have to do it, but I want to do it. And not be a people pleaser. And so that's kind of why I've, I've used this, this phrase, the evolution of obedience. Because what's the answer? If God expects us to be obedient, but yet our obedience doesn't earn our salvation, what's the point? Why should we obey? Where does the answer lie? And to me, it starts here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. The wise man says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. I think kids don't like it when their parents tell them to do something and they ask why, and they say, well, because I said so. Sometimes kids don't like that answer. I think that's kind of what Solomon is saying here. Just do it, just obey God. You know, my, my kids sometimes will ask, I'll say, hey, pick that up. And he say, well, I didn't put it there. I'm like, I don't care, just do it. Just obey and I think for a Christian, this is where obedience starts. For us to look at the scriptures, read God's word, and just have that reverent respect, that reverent godly fear, and understand that someday there's gonna be a judgment and that we need to obey God. And that's where it starts. This isn't talking about, again, going back to being legalistic and earning our salvation. This is just simply saying, obey God. That's what Solomon's, Solomon's saying, just do it because he said so. You know, Justin talked last week about Solomon and all that he experienced and all his wealth and power and fame and all that he did. He said, I'm gonna go out into the world. I'm not gonna withhold anything from myself. I'm gonna try it all and see what makes me happy. And none of it did. This was his conclusion. All that other stuff is just noise. The truth is man's all is to obey God, fear God and keep his commandments. But you know, this is the same man who in Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10 said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think this is a good place to start for the Christian as far as obedience is concerned, but this is by no means where we should stop. And I think the next logical step in the evolution of obedience is faith. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight, the scripture says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And if we want our obedience to be pleasing to God, it has to be an obedience that comes from faith. So how do we know that Abraham had faith? The scripture said that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What does it mean by that? Does it mean that he simply just believed in God and believed what God said and so therefore he was righteous? No, he acted on that faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed. It wasn't that Abraham just believed God, but he believed God and therefore acted on that belief. God said, you go to this far country, and Abraham said, okay, I'll go. 
God said, do you sacrifice your son Isaac to me? He said, okay, I'll do that. That's how we know Abraham believed, because he obeyed. And all throughout the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11 specifically, that talks about those heroes of faith, you're gonna find there's action associated with their faith. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, moved with fear, prepared the ark to the saving of his house. Everyone you read about in that entire chapter had faith in God, but you know what? They weren't perfect people. Abraham made mistakes. We read about them. Moses made mistakes. Noah made mistakes. And even Abel, who the Bible paints as a pretty good person, and we don't read of any of his mistakes, but even Abel made mistakes. And I know that because he was human. Everybody in that list made mistakes, but they had faith in God and they acted on that faith. The best example I can use for this is Colossians chapter two, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. This concept of obedience really hits this, comes to this debate when you talk about baptism. Because a lot of people say, wait, you're telling me I have to be baptized, therefore I'm doing something to earn my salvation, and therefore I'm not saved by grace. And to that, of course, my logical common sense part of me says, well, what is there inherently righteous about being, letting someone dunk you in water? I remember a couple of summers in junior high school going to the swimming pool and all the bullies coming up and dunking me under the water all day long. That didn't make me righteous. What is righteous about being dunked in water? Nothing except the fact that God said, if you do it, I'll save you. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through what? Faith in the working of God. Having faith in the fact that God said, do this and I'll save you. Having faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Having faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. Having faith in the fact that when I'm baptized into Christ, I'm partaking in his death, burial, and resurrection and being raised to walk in newness of life. That's what faithful obedience looks like. Nothing inherently righteous about it other than God said, do it and I'll save you. And that's what our obedience should look like from that time forward. It's not just that, okay, now I'm baptized and now I'm back to the balance scale. No, it's I'm still having faith in Jesus Christ. I'm still trusting in what he says. You know, like that little kid who eventually grows up and looks back and says, you know, at age 25 or 30, mom and dad kind of knew what they were talking about. They kind of they had my best interest at heart. They loved me, and maybe I didn't understand everything they told me to do at the time, but now I understand and realize that obedience was important. It was for my good. And that's what obedience from faith looks like, looking to what God says and trusting him and obeying him and knowing that he has our best interest at heart. And that leads to the final point here under this, and that is love. John, 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Listen to what he says here. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He's bringing together faith and love. Our faith in God and our obedience to that faith eventually is gonna produce in us a love for the word of God, a love for Jesus Christ, a love for God, a love for the church. And that is what should motivate our obedience. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Jesus says, this is how you know if you love God. 
He says there, and his commandments are not burdensome. The King James says his commandments are not grievous. And always, I have taught before and I've heard it taught that, well, what this is saying is his commandments aren't grievous or burdensome. That means it's really not that hard to obey God. And, and I know in the back of my mind, I always kind of scratched my head and thought, if, if, if it's not grievous, if it's not hard to do, then why am I so pathetic at it? Why am I such a worthless individual? Because I can't seem to obey God the way that I should. I don't think that's what he's teaching here. What he's saying here is when you stop trying to obey God and earn your salvation based on your performance and you learn to start loving and trusting in God and having faith in him and obeying him for that reason, the burdens are lifted. We're no longer under that burden. We now realize that we're doing this because I've already been saved by Jesus and I'm gonna love and trust him and obey him for that reason, not because I'm trying to earn my way to heaven. And that produces a more true obedience and, some, and, and you, know, you can see how that leads to this idea of, well, okay, well, then I'm not saved and I'm just gonna live however I want. No, when you truly come to the realization of Jesus Christ and what he's done, that leads to a more faithful obedience and a more true obedience than just trying to have the burden of figuring out how to do it myself. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I think I mentioned this recently, but I'm gonna mention it again. Jesus didn't say, if you keep my commandments, then I'll love you. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus didn't say, produce fruit and you're Moses, follow it, and then I'll lead you out of Egypt. He led them out of Egypt. Then he said, here's my law, follow it. Do we start to understand this concept of a true Christian obedience, not simply out of obligation, not obeying God because I have to, but because I want to, because I love him and I trust him. We love him because he first loved us, John, 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. How do you emulate Christ's obedience? Well, we can't do it in the way that Christ did it perfectly, but we can do it in his motivation and his reasoning. Romans chapter 5, 19, we read it earlier. Let's read it again. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Through the obedience of Jesus Christ, perfect obedience, you and I are made righteous, not of our own righteousness. His righteousness is accounted for ours. But how do we emulate that obedience? John chapter 15, verse nine. Jesus said, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide means to stay, to, to be, and to live in. Live in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Listen, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Why was Jesus obedient? Was it out of a sense of obligation and duty? Was he forced into it? I'm assuming he did have some sort of sense of duty and obligation, but the fact is that Jesus was obedient because he loved the Father. Jesus said, I love my father and I've kept his commandments. I've been obedient. I've loved you. Now you love me and you do the same thing. I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know if, I don't know if you're obeying God the way you should be and I don't know if you're doing it for the right reasons. Maybe you obey God because you're trying to keep those balance scales 
in the right place. Maybe you're trying to please your family or maybe you're just trying to keep up appearances. Maybe you've never been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ and begun that walk with him. I wanna tell you this morning, just like Paul talked about the nation of Israel, his brethren and his kinsmen, the Jews, until you trust in Jesus Christ and put your faith in his blood and respond to that faith by being buried with him in baptism, there's no point in continuing on trying to be obedient to God because that's where faithful obedience starts. And we encourage you this morning, if you haven't made that decision, make that decision today. Don't put it off any longer. Make the decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ and begin a life of faithful obedience through faith and love to his gospel. If you need the prayers of the church for any reason, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.